where to even begin. Um, first of all, I would like to apologize for not having put out any episodes in the month of April. I am uh, sorry about that, but I will assure you I have been hard at work behind the scenes trying to uh, make big moves, make some plans here to uh, find a new co-host for the show, a permanent new co-host, so that even when one-on-one interviews fall apart, I have a dependable person who will be here every week to do the show with me. And I thought that I would be out this week uh, to make an announcement on that front. I was looking forward to doing that and instead find myself um, having to remember and, and, and pay tribute to my friend Jason Botchford, who left us this week way too soon. And (laughs) I started writing something uh, because I didn't think I would be able to make it through this intro without having a script to follow. And in doing so, that script evolved into something much more than a podcast introduction. It turned into a personal essay about not just our friendship, but the real Jason Botchford. Not Botch, not the guy who yelled on the radio, not the architect of the Pravis and and the Athletes after that, but the real Jason Botchford and what he did behind the scenes for so many people like me and and so many others. I'm sure you know who they are. They have gone on to uh, take on all kinds of incredible jobs in the hockey world, and he had a hand in helping more people than I could even begin to list. I'm lucky that I was one of those people. I'm lucky that I got to know him the way that I did over the last few years here. And that the way he treated all of us can be something that we take in to our hearts and in turn pass on to the people who look up to us at some point down the line the way we all looked up to him. And I don't want to retread the entire thesis of what I wrote. You can find that on realgoodshow.com, and I would encourage you to read it because uh, I poured a lot of what I've been feeling over the last few days since the news of his passing came out. Uh, But I did want to touch on a few things that I did not put into that piece. I did want to say that... um, What you're about to hear is an episode uh, of this show uh, back when Stefan and John were still with me on on Real Good um, that we put out last year behind the paywall. And um, I I felt honestly a little uncomfortable or nervous about asking Jason to do a show that might only be listened to by, I don't know, anywhere between 60 and 100 people um, that would have to pay us for the right to listen to it. Uh, but he he had no problem doing that at all. He actually, you know, saw an opportunity to uh, help us make a little money, and he seemed happy to do that, honestly, which is not something that he had to do. He didn't have to do this show at all, never mind do a Patreon bonus episode. Um, so it is my pleasure to unlock this episode, I suppose, so that if you are reeling this week for more botch in your life, that here is this one little thing that chances are you've never heard before 
that I can offer to you. It is funny, though, in listening back to it last night, as I did, um, to to hear him again and uh, to laugh at the way he just made us all laugh, really. Um, the things that he said, the things that we talk about here, the hockey topics, largely are not new information. They were at the time. When we had this conversation, he was dropping bombs, info all over the place, new material that was incredible, scoops, exclusives for this little show that are not scoops anymore, that are not exclusives anymore. There was a quote that made the rounds on Wednesday from the tremendous memorial piece that ran on Canucks Army by... Catherine Silverman, and a friend of the show, Pet Bugs, as well, that I strongly recommend you head on over there and read as well. Um, But one of the takeaway quotes from that for me was uh, Catherine talking to Botch about just the, the process of doing the job, of being a print journalist, covering sport, covering a sport that has 82 regular season games Every single year, how monotonous it is to do that, how hard it is to come up with new talking points game after game. And Jason told her that coming up with new ways to say the same thing is this job. And in that way, even though what you're about to hear are things that you probably heard him repeat on the Patcast on TSN 1040 radio in the athletes throughout the season. I actually think that's fascinating in a way because it's like, it's like Jason had a novel in his head that he was writing a book about the 2018, 19 Vancouver Canucks or whatever season he happened to be covering the team. And the chapters of that book were written as the year went on, but the stories within them were constantly being revised. It was like watching a stand-up comedian, perhaps, start out with brand new material that they'd never done before and change that material over the course of performing it again and again and again so that by the time we got to the end of the season and he reached his annual trademark, the must-read of all his must-read material, that final year-end, season-closing, Pravis or Athletes, whatever thesis he had been gestating throughout the course of the season became fully crystallized by the time he got to the end. And so, if you listen to this and you think to yourself, I've heard him say this stuff before, I think there's still a neat view of his process within the things that he talks about here. And we also got him to open up about his life and his career and the things that shaped him into the person that he is and why, despite the fact that he was Ontario born and bred, he could still come to the coast, this confounding market that seems to perplex the national media at every turn and just completely understand us. Know what it was to be a Canucks fan in a way that is so difficult for media, even guys who grew up here, to fully comprehend. That's a special thing. 
it's funny though in listening to this back as I did the other night that one thing jumped out at me and it's certainly something that he developed over the course of the year the way he wanted to see the Canucks front office group open its doors and expand and bring more people in follow the Toronto model of creating this panel of diverse voices with all these different backgrounds who are going to offer you all these different points of view. So you could take all of it in and consider all these different points of view that you might never consider yourself. And in doing so, make your own decision, but make a more informed decision that you could have possibly made without hearing them. And it was funny to hear him talk about that like this was a hockey thing. Like this was the way that the Vancouver Canucks need to operate if they're going to get right. Because while it is, I guess, a, a model that management can follow, what it really is is his own creative process. It is the act of putting together the Pravis and the Athletes on game night every night. It is the act of sliding into the DMs, chatting with whoever wanted to chat with him, being open to conversations from fans from all walks of life, whether you were a a podcaster or a blogger, somebody with ambition to get into the media, or whether you were just a guy on Twitter with like 25 followers and an egg avatar who liked the Canucks and wanted to talk to him, he had time for everyone's opinions. He took it all in. It was a collaborative experience to read his columns every single game night. And that is that is so incredible. That is so innovative, the way that he brought us all in and made us care by making us feel like we were a part of it the whole time. And I'll tell you that, you know, he made the process of, of watching Canucks games more fun. Just through the work that he did, it, it encouraged you to be involved in the Canucks blogosphere, the Smealosphere, whatever, the Botchosphere is what it is really, Botchland, whatever we should call it to honor him going forward. Because... <laughs> Because by being involved, you you gave yourself a shot. You were buying a lottery ticket at seeing your words and ideas and jokes wind up in the athletes or in the Pravis every night. The, it was it was a unique thrill to live tweet Canucks games and in the middle of a game get a like or a fave on a tweet from Jason Botchford because. of the time, you knew what that meant. He didn't just like your thing. He was going to use it. He was going to use his platform to put your idea on the biggest stage that he had. And there's just no one else doing anything like that, really. He changed the way that game stories operate. And he did it within a structure that still reads like a game story, that still has all the pertinent details, but showed you everything. Even if you didn't watch the games, you could read the athletes and still know everything important that happened because he would lay it out in gifts. He would tell the story in depth, the advanced stats, the, the plays that mattered, the quotes about them from the guys doing the stuff. He had it all. 
He was incredible. And he was able to do this because he was a special media figure. I, I, I tweeted this out the other day, but it's true. He, <laughs> the thing that made him the best media guy out there is that he hated the media. He was not a old boys club member. He was, he was a poster. He had posters energy. He, even in his late 40s, he was still going on Philadelphia Eagles message boards to be involved in internet culture. And that is a special thing. It is really, really remarkable. He was a wonderful person. He was an incredible friend. And he was an excellent writer. And I'm going to miss him forever. We love you, Botch. We love you. Daniel. Henrik. Back for Daniel. Let's it go. He scores! of uh, real good stuff, I guess. Uh, and this one is a huge episode. This is a long time in the making. I think I first asked this gentleman to appear on the show like more than two years ago Did now. You? And you were like, you said that it would drop on the same day as a podcast and that would be a big no-no. So right. I didn't know. I didn't think that this would ever be able to happen, but here we Neither are. Neither did I. Well, this is the, the <laughs> most, the most ambitious crossover. <laughs> Uh, in in podcast history, as we uh, you know get Sportsnet and TSN radio people on the same podcast at the same time Man, out here. Don't say that too often. In international don't say that waters. Out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Secret. We have yeah. to. We have to do this. Uh... Please edit that last line out. <laughs> Jason Botchford joins us here today. Jason, uh, the architect of the Pravis. Uh, writer for the province sports and uh, just an all-around great uh, guy as far as the Canucks goes and really anything goes I would say yeah I don't know how great a guy I am but uh, <laughs> I am super in- like I come into uh, your lair here and it's super intimidating you guys have like a full studio podcast studio like I'm already 
on my heels going, oh, fuck, what did I get myself into? Um, it seems very professional. You guys got like banner. Like, are you, is that advertising? No. So this what was uh, this? we did. We did two live shows. So right. do you watch BoJack Horseman? Yeah. Yeah. So we tried to do the banner gag. So that was from right. the first show. It was a real good show. RGS Live, whatever looks better. You're the banner expert. And then this one. Listen, man, just put RGS Live. Big banners up. Yeah. yeah. So this is actually our first episode mics. in the studio. Like, you, you, we make it seem professional, but this does. is episode I, number one. Yeah. So you, uh, you set this up yesterday, right, John? Yeah, yeah. Was, my roommates moved out, and uh, and so we converted my old bedroom into this studio, and we're okay. happy to have you as the first guest. How long did you have roommates? How was that? Like a year, and it was uh, it was okay, you know, right. whatever. It was fine. Yeah, they uh, they were uh, – It was I was living with a couple, and they were gone a lot, so it wasn't right. too bad. I have three. My roommates are all seven years old and younger, so there's three of them. <laughs> that's less it's good. Not, it's not the good times. No, does not bring that. That's much less good. It's not yet. Are you what? Uh, what? What type of? What kind of kids you have? Boys, girls? Uh, two girls and uh, and a little boy. Nice. The two girls were fight. Like I just had the most exhausting fucking weekend. They were in. They both take dance. Okay. Yeah. So my whole like they have this. I didn't even know, but at the end. Of their dance season, they have the the big dance recital. Yeah, yeah, you got to do yeah, it. Yeah, you know about it. Well, no, okay, it's just like yeah. that's like <laughs> that just seems like, like the climax of every uh, yeah, you know, it, family right? movie right. or whatever. Well, you got to make the big recital. What? Yeah, okay, fair enough. And uh, <laughs> I can assume that. What I didn't know is that the show, okay, like th- they're in. So there's two of them. One's in one's in one dance. The other is in two dances. The show is is broken up into two sets with an intermission. The first is an hour and 45 minutes long. This, then there's a 20-minute intermission. Then the next one is an hour and a half. Now, that's, that's a fucking grind to get. It's 56 dance performances that I had to sit there. 56? 56 of them to watch. And your daughters were in three. Yeah, but here's the kicker. There's, it happens four times over the weekend. So there, this experience, you go through it once at noon on Saturday. <laughs> Then you go through it all again at six at night on Saturday. Then you got to hit it again Sunday at noon. <laughs> and oh, here's one more Sunday night at six o'clock. So you sat through all four. Okay. You didn't. Yeah. You can't just drop them off. And oh my, no, I mean, I guess I could, but someone's got to pick them up. It's out in Maple Ridge. Like oh, I mean, it just okay. doesn't. So there was no. It's just you got to. You just there's. No, you got to be there. You, four times. And you can't. You, be there four you times. can't leave when theirs is done. Believe me, I thought yeah. of. All like <laughs> I wanted to leave when it was, but no, because they're all in a, there's a finale at the end of the 18 hours or at, at the end of each performance of the four. There's a big finale number where they're all required on stage with lights and stuff. So the first one, I'm like, fuck, this is so long. Like, and you can't bring it's one of those. I mean, it's in Maple Ridge, but the rules are like at the Orpheum, like you can't bring drinks or food. So all I want to do is like chug coffee, man. (laughs) So by the fourth one, I'm like smuggling in uh, a flask of coffee just to be like just to stay awake, so I don't embarrass myself. Could you vape in there? Could you could you rock a vape? There's no vaping. But I would not. That would be not my (laughs) go-to. Like, I don't think that that would have helped. Is this like torture though? Upper. Is it like, what do you mean? You, What's, is it torture? Jesus Christ, you are you listening to, the, to me? Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. 56, like, would random. You, these are professionals. Would you, would, you, would you recommend Dude. it to, like, the military as, like, yeah, a, a government torture I process would, or whatever? Like, fuck, like, like Broadway <laughs> to me is, t- like, when Broadway is, like, an hour and 20, intermission, then, then another hour and change, right? And, and they're yeah, all. You can bring drinks in, too. 
and you can drink. Yeah. yeah, you can drink in your seat. You can do all of that. And these are the greatest dancers and singers and musical people in the world, right? That is fucking torture, okay? <laughs> now you flash to Maple fucking Ridge, and it's a bunch of kids who can't fucking dance, and you're watching 56 of them. Is it torture? Look at you. Fuck off. What was the, be- what was the oh, best man. one, aside from your daughter's? Was there, was there at least like a couple where you're like, oh, at least this one's like not horrific? Yeah, there was yeah, okay. there's a couple, you know, right. with the older kids. Right. And, and like, yeah, like... The first time you see them, you're like, yeah, this is okay. It's like uh, they dance out. A, someone's having a nightmare, and there's a bed on the uh, stage, and people <laughs> all hover around her. So the contemporary, where they're doing that, they all push. You know that contemporary shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Contemporary dance, where they all just yeah. push each other. Yeah, yeah they're pushing off the air, and you move backwards. It's constant pushing. Yeah, yeah. That's all contemporary is, constant pushing. It looks like the easiest. Honestly, I watched that. And I'm like, I that now that I could fucking do that and tap dancing. Did they get better as they went along, like over the weekend? Or <laughs> no, because they've spent <laughs> they they've spent from September until June working. Like each class just works on their one dance. So this is as good as it's gonna get. It's not like there's a big improvement over the course of the weekend. <laughs> but yeah, there's a couple that are okay. But by the end of the first one, like I'm out on all. Like at the beginning, for the first out for for the first forty minutes. Oh, those kids are cute. Look at that little guy. Look at that little girl. Like, this is, she's doing a good job. A nice little contemporary thing. This is pretty good. But by the second half of the first show, you're like, fuck this, man. I'm out. Like, I'm cuted out. I'm out on the little kids. I don't want anything. That... And then um, by the fourth show of the weekend, you're out on everything. Like, you just. Even your own kids. And there's out. security you're around, out. like, trying to see if you're. Using your cell phone too, so I couldn't even. Oh my god! Even yeah. play like a game. Yeah, on like all phone. I want, I want to get on like the Eagles message board and see what the fuck the people are saying about the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way that I can kill time, right? Like, yeah. how the hell am I going to kill time? And, uh, and so they're that, coming around with a flashlight. Yeah, flashlight. Ever so I got my. By by the end, I had it all. I had a system where I had my cell phone kind of covered up, and those security guys couldn't see. But it took me. <laughs> it took me like. About five hours of, of the experience to figure figure things. My flask of coffee, my hidden my hidden cell phone area. Because yeah, for day two, I would think that there'd be somebody in the audience with like a Game Boy or like a Nintendo Switch or something. Yeah, but there's the guy, the security he's guy coming not, up. He's you like, know, did you see people get up. caught? Oh yeah. Was there a- oh yeah. People are getting because they, you know some people just hold up. They just start filming. And the guy comes Tackles charging down. I'm like, we really need the security guy to like monitor the Maple Ridge Theater Arts place. Like, come on. But yeah, so that was my weekend. Was oh, pure hell. That's how I feel when I watch the Canucks play. Not enough <laughs> yes. intermissions. Yeah. Well, at least they let you look at your cell phone during so, the game, though. Yeah, it seems like it's encouraged, actually. Yeah. From the games <laughs> There is a lot of that that goes on there. Oh, I I have to ask you about something that you talked about last week because he's a a longtime dedicated listener of this program, uh, Yerky21. Right. You you talked about the fact that the the, the comic strip that he produces. I don't know how how much I'm allowed to say about Yerky. Oh, really? Yeah. Because John's met him before. Have you? I have met him. Uh, I'm not at liberty to disclose (laughs) this information. (laughs) 
Well, you can tell this story. No, no, I'm just kidding. I uh, I met him actually at the airport because I was in. Well, and that's I met him Flying twice. Out of van. Met him twice actually. No, it was uh, in um, Ottawa. So I was right. going to. I was doing shows in Ottawa, and uh, and he happened to be or no Montreal. It was a Montreal airport. Yeah, and I was doing shows in Montreal, and then we were supposed to meet up, and it didn't quite work out. Oh, that's what it was. He came to one of my shows, and I couldn't meet him after the show, so we ended up meeting up in the airport the next day. I met his wife and, and kids. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. But yes, you, you so, said, you said that... Uh, tell, tell the story. Uh, he creates a comic strip every week. It's a satirical thing called Benning on Empty, basically making fun of uh, Canucks GM Jim Benning. And there are people around the league who think that Yerke must be someone who works within the or Canucks works. office. Or works. Because he knows too much about right. There, there's an inner the workings of the of even the, though it's all just the you know what we assume based on it's all jokes based on like reporting essentially. Yeah, but there's certain things in it that twig to some people who have knowledge of the inner workings of of the Canucks brass and front office. He he, he and they've said like he knows a little too much. Who is this guy? They they ask. I him. see. I don't actually think that's true. I feel like uh, I, I think I'll, the, give you, I'll give you one example. Okay, yeah, okay. give you an example. I can't give you all the examples because that would be a giveaway, but I can give you one. Okay, like he he does prominently display like TC Carling in decisions, and he's like a character in this comic book, right? Now TC Carling is quietly a super powerful guy in Vancouver and for the Vancouver Canucks, right? Like he's an executive with the team. He was like Trevor's right hand man. And a big advisor when Trevor was taking taking over the job, and and uh, he's taking over some big tasks around the team. No one ever talks about TC Carlin. I don't hear anyone ever yeah, even. This bring- is the first time I've ever heard his name. And he appears in fucking Benning on Empty, and it's like what? It's also weird that his well, initials he- within his own name are also his initials. That's fucking me up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like TC Carling's initials are TC. That's a, it's too much for me. <laughs> So that's one of the things that people right, around the okay. league like. Why is this guy re- repping? T- like, what does he know? Well, he was like a little bit more of a figure when he had the job that I think is now like Ben Brown's job. That is so like that's a long that, time ago, yeah. dude. Like that's we were going through. That's the middle of the Gillis era. He left uh, toward the end in the middle of the Gillis era. Ben and those guys took over. You're talking about when he was in PR. Like that's. You're going back like ten years. Yeah, I honestly had no idea that he ever left. Yerky's maybe like the biggest like super fan we know as well. Like he's been on like Canucks.com, HF boards forever. He just uh, he's just very very when he when he likes something he's very like intense on it. Yeah, Uh, he sends us gifts every year, and we're just uh you know there's and there's conversations that his characters have where there's certain. Like he'll have Wisebrod arguing or mentioning or going having a back and forth over an issue with someone, mm-hmm. and it will strike a little too close to home. Now I'm not like I don't but believe. But do you feel like he's just like getting lucky? Like he's just kind of making these conversations up, and then the front office is like, "Oh shit!" Like we've had those conversations. <laughs> Look, I don't. I don't think I don't, the Canucks front office has reacted that way. I'm saying people oh, around gotcha. the league. Oh, gotcha. People outside the of the league. Canucks office. Have, oh, okay. Has, they call me up and say, "Like, did this guy work there?" Is he a disgruntled? Like, is he there? <laughs> Who is he? He knows too much. Who is Yerky? <laughs> Since he's been doing this, he has not. I, 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 yeah, I really can't say too much, but he doesn't live in Vancouver. Yeah, no, he posted a pic of Ottawa. Like, yeah. I'm here waiting for the bus. Or, but that's yeah. fine. Like, there, you don't have to. Like, there's a lot of people that work. Right. 
Like, for instance, he, here in Vancouver, there's several guys, and I pointed this out. Cam works for the Leafs. There, there's there's several guys in Vancouver that work, in, whether in some facility, for the right. Fuller Panthers. Right, like, or uh, I used to work at Universal Supply, just over pretty nearby here. Don't you uh, work in LA? Like, I do now. I, yeah, and I you're now. here. Yes. So fuck. There yeah. you go. Right here, <laughs> we have a guy who works in LA, and he's here. Yeah. But uh, I, I sold a toilet. Uh, I sold a toilet to Jack McElargy, and he works. Uh, he's a scout for the Flyers, I think. Or he was, right, was. at the time. Yeah. yeah. So he gave me his like Flyers. And he business worked card. for the Flyers. Yeah. So come on, that's not. He did. Okay. He definitely doesn't work. He's never worked for the Canucks. Def- I know that for sure. I trust. <laughs> he, I know that for sure. 100%. I could we go so far to say as he's he doesn't work in hockey. Period. No, he definitely does not work in hockey. I love it like, that it's outside I'll, I'll, teams though. Like how I'll, many people are reading Benning on Empty in, oh, in the it's NHL? A, it's it goes around the league for sure. There there are people which is so all, that's like, amazing. Look at, look at the Colangelo story. Like these guys are all over social media. But isn't like isn't hockey though? See, and I okay, the Colangelo story is separate. Like I feel like hockey that's the small league vibe. Like I feel like in the other leagues this kind of thing like a fan just making a comic okay. of a team Do, don't you okay, wouldn't you, go you're, around. You're a, you're a Leaf fan, right? I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you not think like you do you read Benny on an empty? Not usually. Oh. I'm a Canucks fan. Why would I read Benning on empty? You're a Leafs fan. Yeah. yeah, or sorry, not I'm not a, a Canucks fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I read it sometimes. Yerky always play tags that audio us back a lot. By the way. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Anyways, that's it's it's funny. Like I'll I'll show. Oh, it's definitely funny. Yeah, yeah. and they're so. I mean, executives are like us. They're not that different. Like, if they see something that's funny, they're going to pass on. Hey, did you see this? So what you're saying this is, is you text it to Trevor Linden, like, oh, your boy TC showing up in this comic. What the fuck, bud? I've said too much. <laughs> it, just, it, it seems to be, like, based on this perception that I think a lot of fans have of, like, Jim being, like, Kevin from The Office, essentially. Like, you know, like, that's it. It's just a joke. But, I, I mean... I guess if that's what it is in reality, too. Then what can I say? Uh, People around the league wonder, like, who is Yerke? <laughs> did, did he work for the team? And Colin claims to have cleared it up. I don't believe, did you believe him? No, I'm, I'm, he's right. He's on I don't believe either I'll t- I'll tell, no, I'll, t- I'll tell you off the air. I'll tell you off the air. I, get, but I can't say it on the air. He's an international man of mystery. Yeah, well, sort of. But yeah, I'll, but I'll, t- I'll tell you after. Yeah, but just, okay. Because he has a different profession doesn't clear him. Tr- trust me, he's, it does. <laughs> I wish you guys could see the skepticism <laughs> on Jason's face right now. Well, and I don't like how fast Stefan jumped in either. He put no, he just jumped in. Okay. Uh, it's true. John's, John's <laughs> just kind of jumped in a little slow. Uh, well, I wanted to talk to you too about, like, you're a Toronto guy, right? Ontario originally. I'm from there, yeah. Yeah. And For sure. th- but somehow. You've come here and have like a, an understanding of this market, I think, that is like unparalleled. You have somehow become like the voice of the fans in a lot of ways, which I'm sure. Uh, there I, are people, I think a, I think a portion of the fans. Yeah, there I are people in your Twitter mentions who would disagree with that. I'm yeah, sure. I th- but I think that there. I I do. I I'd like to think that I represent a a, a portion of the fans that uh, would be. Uh, no longer represented if I left. So you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm a voice in the media that I think is different from the other ones. Th- that's my the way I see it. So. I agree. You're the only one I like. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that happen? As, like, a, no, how, as a non-Canucks fan. Funny, me too. How, do, how, did that, <laughs> how did that happen? Like, how do you just understand this market? Because it seems to be such a mystery to, like, Eastern media a lot. 
Yeah, well, I've been here since 05, so yeah, I've true. been here for, for a long time. And um, uh, I, I think it helped that I, I you know, early on, um, yeah, I befriended, like I came, became friends with Tony, and we spent a lot of time together hanging out, talking about old stories. And, like, that's – like, he's just an encyclopedia of everything that has happened with the team. And that, so there's all of this stuff – that's on the record, that's out there, that's, you know, been um, uh, been filed away, been written about. And then there's a whole, there's all these other layers of things that he opened my eyes to over the years to how the league was fucking the Canucks and all the different things that were in all the ways that uh, things happen behind the scenes and off the record. And I think that, that that definitely, our friendship, I think, played a role in that. Um but I, uh, but plus, I think that there's another, ele- there's another element to it, is that when I started, I felt like that kind of, you know, the, the old media guard, the old white guy, mainstream media in Canada, that whole group of them, uh, I felt bullied by those, like IMAC, and I've told this story in the podcast before, but those guys, you know, when I first started, they would call me out for like stupid things. They would call me the temp. They would give me a really hard time. They would try to box me out of different stories and stuff. And I remember thinking like at the time, like, okay, I'm going to take this right now. I'm not in a position to really fight back. But when I am in a position to fight back, I'm going to fucking kill you guys. (laughs) And so like, you know, flash forward, you know, 11 years later and iMac and I end up at the same sports department and, um, and he's like, I don't even understand. Like, I don't, how did our beef even start? And I like outline, okay, you did this to me. You did that to me. You did this to me. You did this to me. Full of pages. It's like, oh wow. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. (laughs) And I said, you created this. And I remember, and I told him just that I said, and I thought at the time, if I'm ever in a position, I'm coming out swinging and I'm not going to stop. So I think that that is an added element to it that I will push back against whoever it is, John Shannon, Cam Cole, IMAC here in Vancouver, some of, you know, some of the old-time guys that have kind of represented Vancouver media. But it didn't stop there. Like, you know, Damian Cox. Like, there's – I've had, you know, all kinds of – you know, the list goes on and on. Puck Daddy. Like, I remember Mike I, and, and Lawrence used – there were there were times when uh, – like, they would call me up. They'd be laughing, and they'd be on their way somewhere, like, at night. Like, you know, at 6 o'clock at night, maybe going to dinner on their way back. Yeah. <clears throat> and they'd call me up, and they'd be, like, laughing. I'd be like, what the fuck? What's going on? And they'd go, Jason. <laughs> like, that, that would be Mike. <laughs> be like, yeah. Did you see what Damien Cox tweeted? And I said, no, not yet. He goes, go take a look. So I'd go and look, and I'd, it'd be something ridiculous about the Canucks and he'd say, are you going to let him get away with that? <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, fuck, am I? I don't know. <laughs> let me think about this. And then I'd sit on it for a bit and then I'd be like, fuck no, let me get this guy. And so I... So he's like using you as like the team's attack dog. You know, in some sometimes way. he would poke He would poke me, but I mean, uh, lots of times he'd be mad at me. He'd be, you know, there would be... I, uh, Steve Bernier was one that we'd have big arguments about. And were you fair in the paper about Steve Bernier? I'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, wow, you know, live by the botch, die by the botch, right? Yeah, because I remember well, it was. Um, I think I wrote a story where he failed in Buffalo, San Jose, in the beginning of the Canucks. So I'm like, I'm out. 
mm-hmm. Steve Bernier. He goes, you're three and out column. Is that fair to Steve Bernier? <laughs> oh, yeah, fuck yeah, it's fair. <laughs> Look at this guy. He's had multiple opportunities, hasn't done anything. So that there was there was a long time of, of back and forth between uh, between me and him. It's just very encouraging because I feel like a lot of like, yeah, that the national media that just paints Vancouver as being like a insane market that's just off its rock. Well, and plus I lived like 2011, man. Like who the yeah. fuck? Like we still, I still have battle scars from well, the 2011 playoff run. Like that was, yeah. come on, even Colin, you got it. Yeah, I, I was going to say because he was what, here. What? You got admit, it. Admit what? Admit that <laughs> I'm curious. This is what I've been waiting for. This admit is. that it was wild how the country and all these different, like you know, uh, national newspapers uh, wrote. There was big columns like anyone but Vancouver. This this whole kind right. of thing started, and uh, like ridiculous stories were coming out of Alberta and coming out of Toronto about all these reasons why no one should cheer for the Canucks. And it was insane. It was it was re- like it was it was ridiculous. If I, Winnipeg had beaten Vegas, you wouldn't see anything no, like that. Be, you heard it all. Like, oh, let's go Winnipeg, Canada's team. Like, fuck off. There's no first of all. There's no Canada's team. Can we end that? Like, you guys support this Canada's no, team? No, 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 no one like, supports. No, no. Yeah, no one wants to see because like does any other any other sport have that? Everybody references like no. the Canadian Cup drought. But I don't want to see any other team break it except Vancouver. No, I was thrilled when Winnipeg got out. I want yeah. the Leafs to be the one to win next. But yeah. yeah, I okay. Here's what I would say to that is that I, I I'm I don't disagree in that maybe people were unfair to the Canucks. Like I do think that that happened. Like not that unfair, but I do agree. A lot of people wrote stuff like that about don't cheer for Vancouver, whatever. But I think if you think of it from a Toronto perspective, a Toronto fan perspective is. Vancouver does not matter. They don't even think about the Canucks. Right. That's it doesn't we don't you don't see their games. And a lot of Leafs fans also live in the Maritimes too. So then you especially don't see the Canucks games. It's another hour ahead. So you've got this whole eastern side of the country that never sees the team ever. Never watches the Canucks. So you so then all of a sudden it's like you got to cheer for Vancouver. You have to. And you don't even know anything about them. And then all you know is that, like, Burroughs fought with the ref and bit a guy. And Rome hit this guy dirty or whatever. I'm not saying that any of that is right. I'm just saying that that, I think, is what the perception was of, like, I don't even think about this team. And now I'm being told, you got you to gotta cheer for this fucking team. And then you're like, oh, well, they got kind of some ratty players in the team I don't like. And you got to remember at that time, too, Luongo was also not liked at all by uh, in Canada which is crazy which is crazy but There's he no wasn't yeah, that, mean, was, that was before his Twitter account true yeah exactly that was yeah, that was pre-strombone but it was like but you know what I mean like so I, I think that that's where it came from I'm not saying it's correct I just think that that's what it is is but, like I know as a Leafs fan growing up when I grew up in Toronto if the Canucks didn't have Burray I would have known nothing about the team and, and I'm told like fans can be indifferent fans can hate other teams like all of that I accept it was when it when it kind of manifested itself into the Globe and Mail, when it manifested itself into the Edmonton Journal, when it manifested itself into these these media people who, um, look, they, they just, for that run, they did not give the Canucks um, a fair and repre- what, balance. And why do you take. think that was? Like, what's your personal theory on that? Like, why they wouldn't give them a fair shake? Well, I, I think that, uh, I think part of it, is uh, who was running the team at the time. I think that there was a lot of people who didn't like the way that uh, the organization at the top handled itself. And um, 
and they were different. Like they are there. They weren't the old boys club, right? Like you've seen, you've seen it. Another, you've seen it. It happened with the Panthers, man. Talon is the old boys guy, right? The computer boys come up. They're not. They got fucking drilled. They got drilled right out of the league. They got drilled right out of, you know, running that team. Um, they've, the, the pressure was put on by the media, um, kind of repping talent to give, cornering that franchise. And, and, uh, uh, and I, I, I kind of feel like they folded. Like I feel, felt like they folded their hand. Like they had a hand to play. They could have kept playing and they folded their hand. Um, we'll see what happens with Dubas, but I think that there's a lot of people lined up if things look like they're going sideways or, you know, at all they look like that Dubas is making mistakes, I think that they're going to go after him. And now I think in Toronto, like I think in Toronto, like there, there is still this belief in the NHL that you have to have broken teeth to be an executive, which is insane, right? Like, because this is the one league where, I mean, basically drop out of high school. Like the, most of these guys don't even go to college, and they all graduate to running NHL teams. Like this is the league where that happens. And and, well, we and were... Harvard, the Harvard business grad. Why can't the Harvard business? Why isn't there Howie Roseman in the NHL? Like Jeff Gordon is the only non. Like even right. uh, John Chaika played like BCHL. I want to say, but like Gordon is the only like non-pro. Right. Like, and even like Chaika's controversial. Yeah. Dubas is controversial. It, it's happening to a. But even still, like those guys are going. They have an uphill climb. Like, I think the revolution can happen. I don't think it could have happened in Sunrise. I think it can happen in Toronto. Because I think in Toronto, you're going to have a media base there that's willing to step up and, and protect those guys and say, hey, man. Like, in Florida, there was no one there to say, like, look at all the things that they did right. Look at all the areas that talent fucked up. Look at all the areas that, uh, that they succeeded in in the year that he wasn't around. Um, but I think in Toronto, they have a shot. Uh, but in other sports, like the Yale business grads are, you know, Leading the Red Sox, the the curse yeah. is over, and the Chicago Cubs are winning, and the Eagles are winning the Super Bowl, all with guys that didn't play. We were joking last week that like it seems like to hear the Toronto media tell it, the older you are, the the better the GM you have to be. Like a hundred year old man would be the best GM <laughs> that's not bad. in the world because yeah, that's good. you know you just you just become a better hockey man with every right. year you spend on Earth. Um, but do you think that that like uh, is especially going back to like the negativity against the top? brass in Vancouver in 2011 is that partially that they were trying to be progressive in a lot of what they were doing or also like a sort of example of the same sort of thing you'd see with like the Steve Simmons uh, Mark Savard beef recently where it's like guy didn't answer my calls so fuck him um I think that that's part of it I think that uh the, there's an element of you know are you slipping the insiders enough information are you playing are you part of the game uh, and if you're not, then yeah, I think that that part of it is fuck you, like um, for sure. I think that, that that does play an element in it. I mean, it seemed like there was one person in particular who had an axe to grind based on the fact that his uh, cousin was the GM that was fired to make way for Mike in the first place, you know? Right, so yeah. So that, that's an interesting wrinkle as well. Yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I think you, you are whole you're no, the same that that whole, as that guy, so I don't want to put you in that. But, but that whole Nonus, um, Burke, like they they really like both of those guys like were played like were a big part of the kind of media machine. Like Burke was heavy on that. He, I mean, he was like big believer in in kind of controlling, manipulating the media, manipulating the like. That's when 
in the Canucks, like there, there was this, um, there had always been this tradition that the GM or a big time representative of the team was on the radio once a week to talk about everything that was going on to get their side of it out. And that all started yeah, every like Friday Burke. morning. Yeah. But Burke wanted to be out there now. Um, like when Mike took the job, he didn't want to do that, but that was tradition. So he kept doing that. And, um, and at the beginning, when Jim took the job, he didn't want to do that, but that was tradition, and he kept doing. It. And I think it's unfortunate now that they've, with the new deal with six fifty, that they've taken that uh, off the table, and that was negotiated out of that 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 deal, um, because I do I think that that was an important part of it. Like I think that um, for both sides, I think it was important for the team to be on the record and say, here's what we feel about the topics of the day or topics of this week. And it was important from the fan, for the fan base and the market to hear, okay, like that's their side of things. That's where they're coming from. That's how they're spinning it or that's how they're describing what happened. Yeah, because so. this current um, management team has, even you know, it's a lot of problems. They make a lot of mistakes, I think. But also the messaging is terrible. Like right. what do you expect from this team when you don't know what they're doing really, you know, like, yeah. And, and I think oh, one of the questions that that's fair to ask is like, are they improving in that area? Are they, are they seeing that as one of the weaknesses of the organization that they've struggled to get the message out? Um, I, I, I agree with that. I think most people, you know, over the course, even the biggest supporters of the team would say that, that they have had mixed messaging and they've had poor kind of PR representation in terms of, uh, driving what, the, what explaining why they're doing the things that they're doing um, and actually I think that they do a, like when I hear them talk about it off the record or in private situations I think that they do a better job of it I think that they would benefit from being out there every week talking about it and explaining like here's 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 why we're, we're not trying to trade so-and-so or here's why we're making this move in free agency it seems like no matter what they do they'll have already said something contradictory basically so you can be disappointed with literally anything but that they do. But that's they – I mean – Yeah, yeah. They have to blame themselves. You have to be self-aware, right? Exactly. Like they did – there is the, – the problem with the current organization is that the, there was a turning point where things um, changed and, and there was a directional change, right? It was um, it, when they came in, we're going to turn around fast. We're going to get back to the playoffs. We're going to do this, this, and this, and that. And then it became, oh, man, like you guys are expecting like things to turn around quickly. Like you guys are crazy. Like you got to be patient. It's draft and development. And it's like, fuck, really? That happened? Like, and that did happen and has happened over the course of this regime. And that's just the reality. So, I mean, if I were them, I would embrace that. I would say, yeah, we, we changed. People changed their mind. We changed our direction. You're right. You, you caught us 100%. But now we're on the right path. We're going to have a great team in three to five years. Just watch us. And that's what, like, that's one of the big topics that goes on right now that I have. Like, I always ask in these situations, in these, um, you know, availabilities when they're at the podium, I always say, like, do you have a timeline? And I always get feedback online through Twitter or even on some of the radio shows. Oh, they can't answer that. Oh, man, like, that's, that's an impossible. No, it's not a fucking impossible question. Okay? You, you can have a plan. You can have a plan of when the team's going to be relevant again. And I think right now is a great time to step up and say, fuck, we got a plan. Oh, don't say the fuck, but we got a plan. <laughs> we have a plan. And we are going to have a good team that you are going to love, appreciate, and want to cheer for. It's going to be relevant and competitive. It's going to have a chance to win. But it's going to take us three to five years. Stick with us. And that's more than enough time because at the end of that five years, that's nine years that these guys have been in charge. Now, if you don't have 
If in nine years, a decade. if you can't build a relevant competitive team, you should quit. Like it should be all over. You should just be like, and you know what? In three to five years, if we don't have a great team, all we're all leaving. We've done this. That'll be have been nine years, more than enough time. We failed. If you don't have a playoff team in nine years. Well, yeah, Come on, people man. are going to call them out on that in three to five years, regardless. So you might as well get ahead of it, right? right. Yeah, well, call it out. Do they feel burned by the fact that they laid out that three to five year timeline originally, and here we are, not there, and like those quotes still get pulled up all the time? Is that yeah? But who that where think? the reluctance comes from? I, like I don't understand. Okay, it. right. Uh, you're you're talking about Jim's quotes about how they were going to have this elite team by the end of the Sidians contract, exactly. right? Yeah. Because so, that was, but that was absurd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my plan, there's there's a possibility to my plan. Yeah. His plan, there was no chance that they were going. But I'm just saying that's a time when they clearly had no reluctance to put a timeline on something, and it didn't right. work out at all. Right, and they get roasted for. But it But I think all the anyone time. could have assessed the team and said like, you would th- you would think the hardest the hardest point in all this is going to be when the Sedins leave. That's not going to be the home run. Like we got a team now. <laughs> the Sedins are out. <laughs> it's their last year of their contract. Now we have an elite team. Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, they could he just, win. I think he was, I think he made a mistake when yeah. he said that. They could just win so much goodwill from like, even just like fans like us by just saying like, look, we, you know, we made a mistake or, or maybe we were, we weren't quite right. Just come out and say it, and it's the easiest thing, and people would be on board with that. And it's I such think an the obvious fe- PR the, win. The people on, there are certain people that will always be against yeah. the regime. There are certain people that will always be for it. But there, there's a whole big section down the middle. Yeah. The, 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 yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think Vertana could still be top six guy. You know, the, Ulevi's going to work out. Like, they, they're going to hit on that. Like, there, there's a whole, like, I'm not sure down the middle and you would win all of them over if you stepped up and said guys and trust us right now we've drafted well look at all these guys in three to five like you would i think you would win a lot of people over by saying that well i've always said that if that that exact thing happened in toronto and if that can work in toronto you can say that to any fan base that's how that's what i've always maintained like what is so different about the vancouver fan base that makes them so much more discerning than leafs fans i mean right. and leafs fans you have like 10 times the number of leafs fans than you do canucks fans so that middle of the road is even more people that you're talking about but like, it's a good comparison because in Toronto they were scared for years of doing totally, just this. Totally, 100%. Right? This yeah. is exactly, yeah, with the same regime. We had Burke and Nonis who kept saying, like, oh, we can't miss the playoffs. Right. Got to deal two firsts for Phil Kessel. And, I mean, and then with the, you know, the, all like the, the all, a majority or a huge chunk of the fan base was saying, no, just rebuild, man. Just draft and develop. Just like say you're going to take time. That's all they wanted. Yeah, 100%. And I, finally, when they said it, they they won over the entire city. Hundred percent, and a like, fan like me, like I, you know, I'm a very discerning fan. I was like that. I was like basically masturbating to that press conference because, like, oh my god, right. like I've been a Leafs fan since I was born in 1985. They've never done this. They've never the whole time I've been alive. They've never had a regime come out and be like, we are gonna suck for a bit. Never. We've right. never because, had that because if you've been a fan for long enough, you know that the quick fix doesn't work ever like right. ever and i just it's funny to me to look at like obviously it's a different sport but like sam hinky is just beloved in philadelphia and what did he do he just lost on purpose for like right. years yeah. on end and he uncovered the twitter account of course so yes yeah. that too <laughs> <laughs> so like there's you know it's not there's a there's a level of people that will always be 
patient for that if that's what you explicitly are going to do. So, I don't yeah, know. I think people were eager to lose. Like at the when the like I think the 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 core the the o nine to o thirteen or o eight to o thirteen run like the, that core of that team. I think. Um, like, I think that they, they could have done better. Like, there was more in them. I think that there was more in them that the right coach instead of Tortorella. Like, if they, they had made the right play at that point. Because you remember in that Tortorella year, even in January, they were top 10 in points in the NHL. I just think that they made – I think they waited a year too long with A.V. And, which, and the relationship between the players and A.V. had gotten stale. And then they made the wrong move. With, he was just the wrong guy at the wrong time with that team, like this this veteran team where I'm going to, like, play the shit out of the Sedins. And, and that's the thing with Tortorella. Like, when he came in and he said that, like, I'm going to I'm gonna have the Sedins on the PK. I'm going to have the Sedins playing, like, 21, 22 minutes a game. And you would listen to him say it. Like, he could say it like you're shaking your head, but he said it, said it way better than that. Because I remember no, sitting I, there uh, listening to him going, fuck yeah, like, that's a plan, like this guy. And then I remember driving home, thinking, wait, what? <laughs> this, is <gonna> do it. <laughs> like, this is crazy. This is never going to work. Because, I mean, like, even Edmonton this year, and, like, you know, Connor McDavid is much younger than the Sedins were when Tortorella came in. They were playing McDavid, like, 24 minutes a night in fucking preseason. <laughs> right. Like, you can't do that. It's not going to last down the stretch. He's, they're going to get gassed, even if you are, you know, 21-year-old Connor McDavid, never mind 33-year-old Henrik Sedin. So, so I think that, that there, there was more gas for that team yeah. to, to go on, like, one more. If they had the right parts and the right coach to go on one more run, but it didn't happen. And I think at the end of that Tortorella, we, everyone knew. Everyone knew. Every, it was over. It was done. It was like, you know, Torts, you know, it's famous, too stale, too old, whatever. He, he knew. We all knew. And I think at that point, people wanted the te- people wanted the teardown. I think a vast majority of the fan base was ready to say, like, let's just lose. Like, let's tear it down. Let's lose for a bit and try to build this thing up over time and not rush into things. And instead, they got... Um, an inexperienced front office, and there's no arguing that. Like they they were they got super inexperienced president. Yeah, they got a super inexperienced GM who didn't when like Shirelli's a lawyer. When Jim was in Boston, he wasn't doing contracts, he wasn't doing negotiations. He was working his expertise. He was working the amateur side of scouting, the pro side of scouting, scouting players. Like that was his thing in that on that Boston. So he had no contract guy. I mean. Um, Lawrence was still there, and at the Lawrence time. got gas. Yeah, because he was willing to say like no to things, right? Right, like, like Dorsett the... and Spiza and said like, or you know, certainly Dorsett said you know that's not a good idea for the. So, um, so the contract guy was out, and then you had his, or at least not, or and shut out before he was out, mm-hmm. right? Like not listened to before he was gone, and he was the guy with the most experience in that front office. Um, so it's not just, just a lack of experience; it's also like a lack of willingness to kind of ask for help and your deficient well if you are willing to ask for help and listen to other people you would surround yourself you would do what toronto did yeah right like you would surround yourself with you know lamorello and mark hunter and do but like you'd surround yourself with a bunch of different people that come from different backgrounds that are going to give you their different takes where you can say like oh i i agree with mark here or i agree with kyle on that one 
you don't see that in Vancouver, right? Like there's not an array of different. There's Wisebrod and Jim who are pretty much the same. It's like five guys basically. And uh, and Trevor, and that's the that's the group that they have making the decisions. Even less than five. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember that year and kind of convincing myself, like, oh, you know what, maybe maybe they'll bounce back. Maybe this is maybe this is for the best. And then I think it was the first day of the playoffs when they re-signed Spiza and Dorsett. And I remember getting that TSN alert on my phone and and just like putting it down and like having to kind of sit in the dark for a little bit. In, like, in oh, that. Okay, this is not going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the day that it died for, I think, a good amount of the fan base that like, oh, these are the decisions that you're going to make. Right. Because there was an openness to giving these guys a fair shot, even as an inexperienced office. And then that day that those contracts came out, it was like, well... That's it then, I guess. This is who they are. That was the day the music died. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, I was just so you've been here now thirteen years. Uh, do you like this market? Like, do you like working in this market? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I because like, because it's so crazy. Like, yeah, I, well, I, I think that uh, I, I I'm just comfortable. I think that I've I've I'm um, you know uh, I think I understand it. I think um, I've carved out like a little niche where I'm comfortable and happy in. So, um, so yeah, like, like when my wife says, we got to move back to Toronto, I said, I can't leave the market. I can't leave. I can't leave Canucks Twitter. Are you You're crazy? King here. I, I can't leave all of Look at all of this. <laughs> Look at what I've built. <laughs> you think I can leave this? Um, I wanted to ask you, though, like, 10 years basically is what is the timeline that we're looking at with this group. Is there like a possibility that like Trevor could ever be fired? Like it just seems, would he have to walk away? Cause it seems like he's such right. a beloved figure that he's just ironclad. Well, I, I think at the time that he was hired, there were um, certainly, I'm not the only person to have this um, thought. Like lots of people had the thought that they had hired someone they couldn't fire that they had hired kind of the beloved icon and put him in a position at the top um, where it would be extremely difficult for an ownership group who doesn't have the best PR, uh, is not beloved in the city, uh, to, to let, let him go. So uh, I think that uh, I think it would be really difficult for them to move on. Um, now, I'm not saying it could never happen. I mean... Um, and I'm willing to give this regime, like, you know, let's see what happens in three years. Uh, I, I think that, uh, I think by the end of that, that's seven years. And if they don't have a team that looks like it's going to be super competitive in the league, I think we all know, or I think we have a pretty good idea that it's never going to happen, mm -hmm. right? So um, so I do I do think that uh, it would be very difficult for, for ownership to move on from Trevor. And, and maybe he wants to move on. I don't know. Uh, like, I'm not sure w what he's thinking. Uh, he's obviously thinking right now that he can build a team that's going to be able to compete for a Stanley Cup. But I do think, like, there's a lot that has to be done for that to occur, right? Like, and Noah, Noah Hannafin's not going to yeah. and that's the move thing the is the needle there. People on, on Canucks Twitter especially, you'll get the pro-regime fans who are like, you guys uh, will never like anything they do. But it's not true. Like, we like when they make good moves. It's just that's been kind of infrequent. You know, right. Like we loved the Jonathan Dolan trade, you know, the, yes. the, the Pedersen pick, like all that, all that stuff. Like we, we support that and we want them to do well. We're not cheering against them. Right. But they do make it like it's, it's hard to find 
like the silver lining in a lot of right. stuff. Right. And, and the one, and that kind of strikes at the heart of one of the big issues of this past season was uh, a lot of people on that side were willing to say, okay, you found players in the middle round that may work out. Certainly like they were good picks. I think any time that you can have a player uh, the third round and beyond who is either an NHL player or has the potential to be an NHL player, like that's a home run. Like that's really difficult to find those guys. So uh, when you have picks in the second, third, fourth, fifth, when you have guys like Gaudet, like that, the, they have made Trampkin. Well, you, they've made a series of picks uh, in the middle rounds where you can say like, okay, like I, I can see like that they've done well here. Like this is an area where they've had success. So logic, wouldn't logic come in at that point where you say like, get, fuck, like get let's more get picks. more of those picks, right? Yeah. So I thought like when, when that started getting some wheels uh, around the trade deadline, like this is a good idea. Like let's, the, the team should try to acquire and it started becoming a story that was eating the city. Uh, it was interesting to me to see this big backlash, including from the team, which the, the team was shocked that there was this big negative reaction to their moves at the trade deadline. Um, but I think the negative reaction was built on a series of decisions over the years that had created a situation where they hadn't traded for a pick in three years, right? So uh, you get to the point where they've gone through all this time without you know, upping the number of draft picks or the quality of draft picks that they have, it's like, fuck, like, why aren't you doing this? Why are you pushing back on that? Right? Like it didn't understand. It didn't make like, that was the one issue that I thought like everyone, everyone's going to agree on this. They hired a fucking scout to run the team. They've done well finding guys in these middle rounds. Let's rally around this idea that, that this should bring everyone together, but it didn't. It was, became super divisive, even more divisive, than any other issue in the recently in the past few months. Uh, we were talking before you got here about like the fact that the, all the messaging right now from the people who are like tapped in and seem like pretty reliable sources for like what comes from the front office, whether that's like Dolly Wall or iMac or what have you. Like typically in years past, it seems like Stefan was saying like you get a bunch of stuff from the combine and like prospect profiles and whatnot in the lead up to the draft, and all the talk right now is about trading the pick and <laughs> and like is that kind of is like fire where there's smoke basically because it seems like all these guys who in years previous would be talking about who's going to be there at seven are talking about Noah Hannafin instead right yeah I think uh I think that there is that you know that there's a lot of meat on that bone like there is there's that's but not just like it's just it's not the opposite picked, of what you not, just said it's basically. not picked from a tree and the and so that that for a lot of us, that's frustrating because the team had just finished the end of the season by saying, like, look, draft and develop. You guys have to be patient. Um, you know, give it time. Drafting take. You know, the only way to do this is to build through the draft. And then the Noah Hannafin th stuff starts out. And I was just I was listening to um, 650 and it was Ed who works with me and iMac was on it. And they were saying um, one of them was saying it's very unlikely that at seven beyond, you'll find a player better than Noah Hannafin. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, really? You're really not, like, set? Like, Noah Hannafin? Like, in the entire 2018 draft after t number seven, no one is going to be better than <laughs> Noah Hannafin? The two fucking defensemen drafted right after him are better than Noah Hannafin in his draft year. 
And so other people are saying, like, well, it's going to take years, three years, for, for these guys to even be playing if you use number seven. Is it? Like, right after... Uh, Wawrenski and uh, and Provorov. Provorov. and Wawrenski like uh, Quinn Hughes profiles like very closely to Wawrenski right. as well and, and like and all these like flyers people out of Philly were making the case like you know Provorov or Ghost for Norris like both of these guys are amazing and he's been a huge impact player in the 2017-18 season he was drafted in 2015 two years later. He's in the conversation. People are saying, like, give him some Norris votes. Wierenski certainly is on the conversation of for Norris fucking votes. <laughs> Norris! <laughs> Two years later. So at seven, the chances, there is a chance that in two or three years, you not only have a player, you could have one of the best defensemen in the league, especially an impact player on a team that has no back end, basically, like there would be a spot for this player to make this team quickly. You know, you would think, right? If they deserve to be here, obviously. And that's but. like the one thing as well as the regime hasn't done like the Toronto Phil Kessel deal, like the the really big deal uh, where it's like a, what was it, two firsts? Yeah, it was two two firsts and a second, right? For for Kessel, yeah. I don't think there was any players, and then yeah, and then the two firsts end up being Sagan and Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think the Hannafin. I mean, it wouldn't be like this year's first and next year's first for Hannafin, but this would be like closer to a Kessel deal than anything they've done so far. Right. It's a major. And, yeah, it's a major deal for sure. Like, right. It yeah, would be the regime's kind of first major deal, I would say. Right. Like, I mean, they've I really mean, they haven't traded made, a first round. Well, pick. I think. I mean. It, like Burroughs, I guess. Well, Kessler. Like, oh, yeah, Kessler, yeah. But Kessler is their marquee, one of their marquee, and the Good Branson trade. Like, that's, right. that was. And I mean, both of those worked out fine. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you flash back a year, like, would, would people have been saying, you know, let's, like, that's what I keep asking all these people are so in on trading Hannafin. Like, so a year ago, you would have traded five for him? You would have traded number five, and then that's essentially what you're saying. I mean, five and seven. If you look at the like draft pick value area, it's close it's very close. Yeah, and I don't think anyone would rather have Hannafin than Pedersen. Pedersen. And, and Pedersen, and then Middlestat. Middlestat may end up being the best player in that draft, and he went to Buffalo at was it nine or eight? So the Rangers went yeah, at seven, yeah. got Anderson. And uh, then the Sabres at eight got Middlestead at eight. So he may, and he has, he has the potential. So does Patterson, really, to, to be the best player in that draft. I don't think he's there. He, you know, he's even played in the NHL. So we'll see. Yeah, Middlestead went eighth. Both of those guys have the potential, uh, ability, upside, to be the best players in that draft, right? Both of them have the potential and upside to be better. Like, I think, to me, they're already better than Hannafin, right? Like, I, it's so... Well, and also the contract, too, right? You want, like, team control, right? He's going to be on... He's an RFA, isn't he? Right. So he's, he's left shot. Yeah. He's RFA. He's not, like, a great... You know, he doesn't have the, the dynamic power play skill set that you would look at and say, oh, he's going to, you know, dominate your power play. So he's, he's fine. And he, I'm sure he'll be good. And I'm sure he'll be a really good player for a long time who potentially can be a 35 plus point guy for, for a series of years. I don't think that to me, he has the upside to be this big impact player. And I think when you go back a year and the Canucks were having these meetings after they knew where they were picking in the draft and they were having conversations like, who do we pick? What's important to us is important. Uh, is it important? How close, like how close is each guy, Cody glass, Pedersen, the, the guys we're talking about, uh, how close are they to playing in the NHL? 
and does it matter to us? And they determine at that point, no, it doesn't matter to us. Like this, one of the one of the conclusions that they reached in those brainstorming sessions uh, leading up to the 2017 draft was no, they weren't going to worry anymore in in that particular pick about how near that guy was to to playing in the NHL. Which uh, I say, bring that on. Like I wish that were we're all like that. I wish in the first year that that's how they approach things, because I I for my team. I would always want them picking for upside. I want the fucking guys that have the biggest potential, the, the biggest upside. Uh, and generally, those guys end up playing sooner than you thought in the NHL. Like, I think a year ago, people would have said, Pedersen's, like, look how small he is. Uh, he's years away from playing. Well, he's not, no, he's going to play this fall. He's going to be on the team, you know, a year and a half, year and four months after being drafted. So take the guys with the most upside. That's how I would approach it. That's why I think last year's need... draft was so refreshing too. They like, didn't take like a plug in the seventh round. No, you, you round pick like someone like Petrus Pamu instead of like, you know, Mackenzie Stewart, right? That's right. like the polar opposite of that pick. Because you look at a pick like Stewart or uh, or like Pettit, and it's like, well, that guy's never going to play in the NHL. Like you can just look at that player. Like you look at someone, people are like, oh, they're drafting for like a fourth liner or like a seventh defenseman or and a And they guy. always do that. They... And, it, and it's like, well, Tom Sestito scored like 60 goals in junior. Right, like you draft for skill, and then maybe that guy will play on your fourth. Why line. would you draft a player who's going to max out as someone who you could just claim off waivers? Yeah, who's the guy that Toronto picked? Um, the the fourth liner. Well, there's Gauthier, but oh, there was no, Tyler Biggs. Yeah, that was the cla- That was the classic, and they traded up the pick that they the picks they traded to get Tyler Biggs ended up being John Gibson and Ricard Raquel. Well, because he was yeah. just a lock to be a fourth liner, though, right? It's li- literally like because they do the draft comparables or whatever, you know, and it's always like way above, you know, like oh, the draft comparable guy gets drafted like seventeenth overall. They're like, comparable, Lidstrom. yeah, comparable Sidney Crosby or whatever. And he's like, okay, <laughs> and then Tyler Biggs is like comparable Colby Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, oh, fucking cool, man. <laughs> Hell yeah. I can't wait till we get another Colby Armstrong on our squad. <laughs> that's the best case scenario. Yeah, and that's the thing that's going on with Mark Hunter right now, too, is like all these people are like, oh, we can't lose Hunter. What a great scout. Well, if you look at his drafts, like his first round, he hit on the guys he should hit on. Like Austin Matthews is a no-brainer at one. Right. It was insane that Lilligren fell to 17. You can make that pick with your eyes closed. And then you look at everyone else he's drafted are like big plugs, like Keaton Middleton and Nicholas Matinin and guys that are never going to get near the league. They passed on Debrinket to gra- draft Igor Korshkov. Like, it's just <laughs> shit like that, like where you're like, is he really that good of a scout? Like, it's pretty fucking easy to make a first round pick. It's You earn your money yeah. at like 25 and later, you, you know? Yeah. like. And so that's the thing is like people are like, is he really that good of a scout? Like, are we sure? Or are p- have people just told you he's a good scout and then... That's it. Like, cause the big thing was like, oh, he, he stand hard for Marner. That was, that's what makes him such a good scout that, <laughs> that, you know, that Babcock wanted Hannafin and he was like, no, Mike, we're getting Marner or whatever. And it's like, right. well, that's again, that's not even like Dubis was also heavily involved in that draft. Like it's not, yeah, anyway, it's just, it's very stupid. Yeah. Like the idea that, that, that that's happening, the safe picks and you can probably, I mean, you're a huge NFL fan and we talked about this on the podcast last week. Like, I was reading this really interesting tweet about uh, and an article as well about how like people feel like the MLB as far as stats goes is like completely drained. Like every team knows everything there is to know, at least right now about stats, the best guys who have the most upside, like they've just kind of figured baseball out. 
and that the NBA, they're getting a lot closer because they're all the players are monitored, whatever. The NBA is getting closer and closer all the time. And they said the NFL and the NHL are light years behind. And right. there's it's really easy right now for like two or three teams if they wanted to in the NHL and the NFL to completely run the league, which is kind of what happened with the Eagles. Exploit right. all these gaps. And, and with the Eagles, like Petter, uh, Doug Peterson would be um, coaching on the field and he'd have the analytics department in his ear. Yeah. giving him probabilities uh, of all different kinds of plays. And specifically, one of the big things that they took advantage of was fourth downs. Right. But there was there was a series, like that gets all the headlines, but there was a series of plays and moves and decisions which he was basing on uh, b- with an analytics department in his ear during games. So, yeah, I think that that gave them a huge advantage and helped them win a Super Bowl. And I think that it's there for an NHL team if they want it. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Like, I... I like I was doing this thing on all these prospects. And one of the things talking to teams around the league that I learned, which was crazy is that every team makes a draft list about 40 or 45 deep. And those 40 and 45 deep all look about the same. Like it's all. And then after that teams have another 60 guys. So they have a, of a list of about a hundred. Each team only has a list for the course of the entire draft. Every team only has a list of a hundred guys about that. Mm-hmm. And they're guys. So, and they never get through the list. So it means that from 40, 45 to 100, no one's list looks the same. You know, everyone's list looks way different. And the guy that you have, you know, in, in your 70s is for sure going to be there in the fifth round or the sixth round, which is fucking crazy to me. Like, so if you're dealing with a 30 round, a 30 team league, like there's 200 plus, yeah, 210 200 players drafted. Picks. And my 100 guys are never gone through like yeah that? Corey Pronman just wrote uh, an article like that in the athletic he's their like yeah. prospects guy say? well he just he said because people were asking him about draft boards and it's like almost exactly what you were saying that so he went back to 2012 and he's like if I took my top 100 picks my draft board for every year here's who I would have taken at every pick and I think the lowest pick he got to was in the 80s Right. So he like he never he, he never, never had it, he never got through his hundred. He never had so right. going back to twenty twelve for six years, he never got to and he had some drafts where he never got past fifty. Fuck. Like so he's in the seventh round and he's like, I got the guy I think has the fiftieth right. most talent overall right. or whatever. Which is cr- yeah, crazy. Yeah, I couldn't believe I you know, they I I I thought the draft boards would have been three hundred deep. Yeah. Like what? A hundred deep for every team? That they, that they Shows you how different that, that every organization and every scouting group can see the, these these processes. And if you're only doing a hundred, then it's even more baffling that like somebody who's just top end is you know pugilist or thirteenth forward, seventh defenseman. How is that on your list <laughs> if you only have a hundred players? I, I don't know. Like, how? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Makes no sense. Um, oh. I wanted to, uh, yeah, tell you that. Uh, I mean, in some ways, you are responsible for this show because I am. because Ow. because this is a, these are these are yeah, sorry, Jason. Twitter based. <laughs> You're not responsible. I for now canceled the show. <laughs> these are these are, these are uh, in some ways you know, like Twitter built friendships, and I wanted to tell you that the only reason that I ever joined Twitter was uh, because you, I think, had locked your profile or something like that, <laughs> or you needed to have an account to follow you. And I joined Twitter on July 1st in either 2009 or 2010 right. just to follow like the free agent rumors and oh, signs no on your feed. 
uh, way back then. So well, I'm responsible for in, you. In some ways, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never, Thanks a I lot, never, Jason. I never would have joined Twitter if not, uh, if not uh, for I'm that. I'm sure you would have come around. I probably would have sure at some point. Around. But uh, thank you for giving me brain worms and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, fostering this, uh, this wonderful thing. Wow, man. Yeah. I'm feeling good. Like, <laughs> fuck. What am I going to do with all this energy today? Man? <laughs> You're pumping me right up. Go watch a dance recital. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a low point coming in, but I'm leaving out on a high, yeah. man. Yeah, and also, you know, this was a difficult season in a lot of ways, uh, watching the team anyways. Uh, but uh, Difficult few years. Man. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, definitely. It's been a, it's been a grind. But uh, like, well, this has been... Oh, go ahead. One you of the positives for me all year long... Bouquets? Yeah, one of the positives <laughs> for me all year long was just, uh, you know, chatting with you after games and... Uh, and the friendship that I think we developed over the course of the season. So wow. thank you very much for that as well. Are you going to reveal what you wrote in those DMs? <laughs> no, no. Is that is that a topic we can discuss? <laughs> well, and being in LA too, like I don't, I'll, I watched maybe like six games from start to finish. How often last are, you, are you in LA? Uh, I was back there for like most of the year. Oh wow! Um, he lives there now. He's a big Hollywood guy. Well, I'm like five nine, but um, <laughs> but I would I would read the the Provies every night, like, and that would be kind of my way of like catching up with the game. Would be that and like Canucks Twitter. So uh, right on. And you know, whenever one of us was in the Provies, it was like. Oh, yeah. message, hey, <laughs> take a screen grab, send it Provies. back and yeah. forth. Look at this. Or shit. my dad would text me and be like, "Hey, signing the Provies." Yeah. <laughs> Well, the only uh, I'm not gonna you know kiss your ass like these guys did because <laughs> yeah, uh, I just to me you're just like I'm a nice guy who I enjoy reading. But uh, I will say there is one joy for me, and that is when I get in the Provies right. because people know I'm a Leafs fan and they get mad. I've been trying to get in the Provies for years, and I think this year I was in it five times, and people just get so upset with me. And it is really brilliant. I'm like, and I'll say that to them too. I'll be like, yeah, and I fucking hate the Canucks. Botchford just fucking, he follows me. He puts me in the provies. People are just like, oh my God. <laughs> so upset. So thank you for that. I appreciate anytime I can get a leg up on a Canucks fan. I appreciate it. So thank you. It's good to have that Leafs perspective though. I think that uh, the, it, gives, it gives people here hope. And I mean, I, I, you know, Dubis being in charge is like the. I'm so excited. I really think it's going to be great. And Gilman too. I think it's going to be. I think that's a winning combo. I'm happy. If that succeeds, do you think that is a like tipping point for the? Yeah, whole like league? I said, like I think that that, like the the revolution and, and one needs to happen, in hockey. One needs to happen in the NHL. Um, there are some that argue with me, like the the old boys network is no longer and it's not the same. But fuck that. Like, come on, it absolutely is. The same, like I pointed out, like Talon just lost the fourth, his fourth prospect in six years where he couldn't sign him to an entry-level contract. Like that, like one in five years, I could understand, but four in six? It's not a fax machine problem. Like time. that's fucking bananas. And you're telling me if Dubas had done that or the computer boys in Florida had done that, you're telling me that Steve Simmons wouldn't be tweeting about it. John Shannon wouldn't be tweeting. Like, there's a whole group of guys. Well, it was so obvious that they had the knives out for the computer boys from the beginning because, like, why would they ever be talking about the Florida Panthers in the first place? They never would. Yeah. That's the only reason why was because there was something new going on. There. Yeah. And I don't know. Do you know, like, have you guys been around Talon? Like, he's a super charismatic guy that just eats up a room. You, you want to be around him. You want to hear his stories. Um, and I can, I can see why people in the media fall in love with him and they fucking fall. They are, they fall like hard for him. Like they'll DM, what's your problem with talent? 
They were like, dudes, I'm just trying to even the playing field here because if it had been on the other way, like all these guys in the mainstream media, all these guys in Toronto would have been blaming, you know, whoever it was in, in for, Florida. For gifting or, Vegas their top line and coach, basically. Oh, man. You know what a story that would have been if that was the computer boys. If the computer guys in Florida had done that, like handed Vegas a playoff spot, handed them their playoff run, handed them their 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 two best players on their top or two of their best players, the two of the three that made up their top line, their best line all season that drove that team were just given to them. Given away. I think they got a pick for it too. A so fourth. Like, yeah. So not only do you get for, this for for Riley, he's fucking good. Take man. a pick too. It's not some fucking shock that he like he was he's had fifty point seasons. And March That's is why so had computer w- boys got him in the first place because they were like, oh, he's an underrated guy in Boston. Let's bring him down. Here. Right. He's and doing exactly what the computer boys thought he would do, but he's not doing it for yeah. the Panthers because they gave him away. And like I saw, that I responded to one like Steve Simmons tweet out like, "Who could have known? Like March is so and all these organizations. March is so had more goals last year. <laughs> you prick." <laughs> I saw people on He HF- scored 30 last year and he got 29 this year. Like four years ago when Marcheseau was with Tampa, I think, I saw people on HF boards being like, he's like an undervalued guy we should take a look at. Like HF boards posters were like, right. the underlying numbers on this guy, he's going to be good. This is four years ago on a, on a website. Right. Like, it's just insane. So the Panthers get him and they got him and they have him playing, scoring, I mean, he's made $750,000, right? Like, that's what, like, you know how long how rare it is in the NHL to not only pull a player to, but to pull a player who can score 30 goals for you every year. Who's making for the first two years of it, $750,000. It's a fucking lottery. Yeah. You just gave them away. Less than the first rounder gets, right? Less than any LC. Man, like that, what that, that should be those two, like the Vegas Florida situation are so intertwined. Like it should be talked about, all the time, like the Panthers went with the four and four protection because they want their fourth defenseman Petrovic. was Petrovic. That they everyone's like, well, they couldn't have pr- protected Marcheseau and Riley Smith. Are you sure, yeah, you could have gone seven and three. Who you got to go seven and three, and you could have protected ten guys and, and everyone. <laughs> the owners made them get rid of Riley Smith. Okay, Le- leave them exposed. Don't give away both but of then, them. But no, because. Like the guys that they brought in after they got rid of I him know, make more money than Smith did anyways. So it's all just bullshit. It's all fucking spin. We are all Adam Masherin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, I just want to uh, say one last thing about the market, basically, and ask you if you think that, you know, Vancouver, like John was just talking about it as like this, uh, this you know, hot button pressure spot like are we that different than any other canadian city i don't think so like i like i sit and uh you know i spent a lot of time on the road with patterson yeah so and you know we do the podcast together and like i'll look at him and be like are we that bad like when i hear elliot oh i listened to that press conference and it's such a negative like okay who do you who in the media like what who is so bad like who is so crazy like, who are the attack dogs that make this market so heated? Like, I just don't I, – I, I don't see it that way. Like, I just don't. I, I don't think it's as um, – I, I definitely think that they have a big vocal fan base here that's uh, very informed and can be aggressive and aggressively opinionated. But I don't know. Is it that hard? Is it that hard? 
I don't no, I don't think so. Like l- look at um I don't know. Um l- like Louis Erickson makes 6 million dollars a year, right? O- honestly, and I've made this I was making this point in the podcast, like he was he was we talked to him like eight times. He did media probably in the entire season. Like a guy making eight million dollars who scored eleven goals in Toronto would be grilled all the like it would have been nonstop. Like Louis Erickson, I can't believe this guy. Or it's they like, do like reclamation, like with David Clarkson. All the stories were like, no, nah, but he's a good. He's a good guy. You know, like it, they would. I remember they were showing him like he, he takes the subway to the games. You know, right. he does. He rides with the people. He's a man of the. You know, it was like there was always this because they knew that like Toronto fans, even after like ten games, when he sucked. Well, he got that ten game suspension. Then he came back, sucked shit. They even knew like halfway through the year, like we gotta we gotta puff piece this guy because right. people are gonna be livid that he sucks so bad. And like here, there's none of that. There's no we're, like, we're, oh, we probably gotta make Erickson look a little better because you know they just they're like oh, it's fine. No one talks to him or cares about him or whatever. It, it, we're just well, one, we're one of the big up, things. Right? One of the we big things that happened during that whole when Elliot Friedman said the market is crazy here and super toxic and negative, like. At the at the time, like, and that was when I was having this self reflection. Like, are we that? Like, is it that bad? And um, and one of like a big Toronto media guy and I were texting back and forth, and he said one of the things though, like Babcock will never be asked about certain line changes and you know whether this guy got um, you know like for instance Vertanen like uh, well, why didn't you play Vertanen in the third why did he get benched here and uh, why did you go with this line like he, he said like there's certain specifics that you guys get into in Vancouver when you guys are going back and forth with the coach and the GM that is just not happening anywhere else like Babcock would not be asked so it's like, like is this, he, sh- he should be facing the biggest. But I, I thought, like, but I just sent me on this huge jag. Like I was like, is that true? Like, can that be true? Like in this massive media market in Toronto, are they not grilling Babcock on lineup decisions and defensive parents? So I went through, I spent the next 40 minutes online listening to, to every Babcock presser after a loss I could find on, on the Leafs network or on YouTube. And he was fucking right, man. Like there was none. There was no until pointed... he started, until he played Leo Komarov twenty one minutes. Was that asked about? Then, oh yeah. Okay. And they were like, I, I never, I never got to a point. In, I think it was why because that. Well, that and then that was the turning point because they said they're like, oh Leo, so why would you play Leo Komarov twenty one minutes? And he said, is that how much he played? And they were like, yeah. And he's like, oh, that's too much. <laughs> that's what he said. <laughs> it's like, oh well, yeah, we you definitely don't want to play guys that much. And then it was like literally a week later was when they started like they called up Kappen in and they started to talk about maybe bringing Janssen up and all that stuff. Like it was after he got asked. So that literally guy. one question. One question about Komarov's ice time. He went down. Da- he started playing Komarov like fifteen ish after that, and then Komarov ended up getting bumped down the lineup. That was when they moved Marner up to Kadri's right. line, and they bumped Komarov down to the fourth line, cut his minutes, and then they brought Kapanen up to play on the fourth line with Komarov. And wow! Yeah. But I like. I mean, I, I don't think it was because of that one question, but that was definitely like when the Leafs started to like turn the corner of yeah. like we're going to actually play our speed guys, our young guys, our talented guys, etc. Right. So I, I listened to like I went through like four, like there was like 15 games of all losses and I never I never came across the Kamarov one and I never heard any like pointed like I'd rather have it be our way the way it is here than the way than what I was hearing in their like just banal like stupid question like just bad. I mean, yeah, you would questions. think with like 
However, they have to have the most media people at their press conferences of any team in the league, I would think. And you'd think yeah, that sure one of those guys would want an original angle on a story to ask, like, a question for your your piece. You right. Would, like, how does it... Well, I think, like, Myrtle and Jonas Siegel talk about it sometimes on the Leaf Report that, like, Babcock just won't give them a straight answer, so they just oh, stop yeah? asking. So they gave up. So that's part of it that he'll... He, like, I could see that. Because that's the thing, right? Like, Babcock, he can be very dismissive, and he's very, like, egocentric. Yeah. So he's just kind of, like, he'll kind of look at them like are you stupid? Like, why would you right. ask me that? And so I think that they just eventually, that he's kind of beat it out of them. Yeah, exactly. I could see that, but I'd rather have it our way where we can say to green, like, yeah. why isn't Edler passing to Vesser? Like, this is crazy. He's not passing to him. Yeah. And does Travis get offended? Like, by well, questions ever? yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, there's some questions that, that he, he get, you know, doesn't like, but so that's the job. Yeah. That's the, the job, man. Yeah. You shouldn't like them all. <laughs> What the fuck? I'll tell you what, though. After when I heard J-Pat in Montreal early in the season, why the hell isn't Edler passing to Besser? And Travis laughed, laughed it off, and he said, no, he's, this is ridiculous. He's not looking him off. But I'm telling you, that night, and I, I had a segment on it in the project, like he dished. There was like four different times where he went out of his way to, to dish to Besser, and it was never – it never became a story. The like, correlation the, between the, the, it the all question. changed. I'm telling you, <laughs> it all changed after Patterson. And the thing was, I had been building up. Like he knew that I really wanted to ask about it. Yeah. And I kept saying, like, I'm just waiting for the. It's got to be the right. Can't be after a loss. Can't you need be the mood to be right. So yeah, I need the can, mood to be he right. Can be receptive to this question. That's right. And not many, like the fewer media. I wanted it on the road. I wanted so it's like your it's exclusive just me and, answer. Yeah, yeah me yeah, and yeah. Patterson early. Just a couple of guys where he's going to be more engaging about it. Yeah. And uh, Patterson just jumped me, man. He just fucking just <laughs> went in. <laughs> I had been working on and saying to him for weeks. It's and like, just like the phrasing. You're like yeah, writing like, it out. <laughs> like, crossing I, I'm out. halfway there on this Edler question. <laughs> <laughs> Can you help me with a word? Like what, what should I say here? <laughs> weeks of time had been spo- like just – trying to construct the perfect question. And then Patterson just jumped and said, hey, do you think that Edler looks off Besser? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Well, uh, you know, you don't have to like all the questions, but I hope you enjoyed the ones uh, we sent your way over the course of the last hour and 15 minutes here. Oh, has it been been that long? It's been a pleasure having you here. Yeah, okay. Uh, It wasn't as long as the dance recital. No. Thank God. But uh, I was joking before you got here that lately on the PatCast, the one thing I've really enjoyed is that there is at least one moment per episode where you get so heated that you're like screaming, basically. <laughs> right. And I told the boys, I hope that we would get you to that oh, did point you want me to today. We got a couple, and you did. A I think it happened like yeah. three times. Oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, so oh, I would God, say oh, this God. was a huge remember. success. Yeah. <laughs> it happened like almost immediately with the dancer. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. I, will, I could scream on that for like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, thank you so much for uh, no problem, joining guys. us. This is uh, super fun. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks, Botch. I'll do it. Maybe we can do it every year. Yeah. Oh, Once a State year. of yeah, the, the Union address. Yeah. The end of Come season, on. State of the Union. And then over the course of the season, you can think up your questions. I'll have my little we'll hope we get the wording right. <laughs> yeah, get right the we'll do it on the road. Scratching it out. <laughs> DM you. What do you think about this <laughs> phrasing? <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't want to spoil the questions. Yeah. Never mind. But uh, yeah, this was fun. Is there that... I don't, no, no I don't know. How do we end these things? <laughs> we don't really have yeah. That works. Yeah. yeah. Whatever you just Talk about. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Yeah, we just-
First Bye. episode in the studio. Woo! <laughs> Bye.
But every once in a while, it goes the other way too. What do you mean? What's, what is it torture? Jesus Christ, are you listening to, the, to me? Yeah, I'm just saying. 56, like, would random. You, these aren't professionals. Would you, would you, would you recommend Dude. it to, like, the military as, like, yeah, a, I would. a government torture I process would, or whatever? Like, fuck, like, <laughs> is it torture? Like, you. <laughs> fuck off.